Well, good morning. If you, ha- if you have your Bibles, <laughs> I love it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, it looks like somebody cares who wins the Super Bowl today. Um, if you have your Bibles, open, up to, open them up to Matthew chapter 5. And if you're using the church Bible, I think it's page 936 or 963. I can't remember. I did look this morning. I don't have all the page numbers memorized in case you were wondering. I want to disclose that since we're talking about trustworthiness today. So we're going to be talking about Christian trustworthiness and just what an incredible quality, how important it is to be a person of integrity, a person who when you say something, people can believe you that you're telling the truth and a person who follows through on commitments that they make. You could search the internet for integrity, honesty, and you can get all kinds of articles talking about why being a person is, of integrity is important for your life, for your business. But I think we as believers have a much more significant reason to be honest and to tell the truth. And we're going to look at what Jesus says about that this morning. Now, I heard a story about a guy who finds this massive amount of money and he turns it in and people are just shocked. They're like, I can't believe you found this and you turned it in. You could have run off with it. And they're just like, man, we 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 just we want to thank you. We want to reward you. We're going to put an article in the newspaper about you. Nobody does this. And the guy says, I don't want a reward and please don't put my name in the paper. And they're like, why not? He's like, well, the lady I'm with is not my wife. (laughs) Sometimes we have people who, um, and, and we can be like this too, where we compartmentalize our integrity. But as a Christian, God wants us to be trustworthy in every area. You know, this is a very rare quality. People cheat on their taxes. They cheat on tests in school. People lie on resumes. They misrepresent things. Parents lie to their kids. I remember uh, um, being in a marriage Bible study one time at church, and we were just talking about you know, how do you do marriage and how do you parent. And, and um, the discussion came out, and everybody started talking about how they lie to their kids. And, and the one example was um, somebody's like, yeah, my kid asked me if I ever smoked pot, and I said no. I mean, of course I did, but I said no because I knew if I told them I smoked pot, I know they would take that as permission, and they would start doing it. So they were actually lying for a good reason, right? Um, way back when we used to have regular telephones, not cell phones, um, everybody used to tell their kids to lie for them when they answered the phone. We don't do that nowadays because we know who's calling and we we just don't answer if we don't want to talk to them. But, you know, when I was a kid, people would say, oh, yeah, tell them I'm not home. And you get parents telling kids to lie for them. And I remember as a youth pastor, I would say to the kids, if your parents tell you to say they're not home when they're home, you can't do that. Because that's, you got to obey God rather than men. So that is not a time that you would obey your parents. You would say to your parents, I'm sorry, I can't do that. It's not true. I could tell them you're not available. And I just told them, I said, think of some other things that you could say that accomplish what they want, but don't lie. I was thinking about uh, um, Santa Claus. Uh, you know, we all tell our kids about Santa Claus. I remember one time I was teaching in Awana. And I was teaching like, I don't know, I think it was like fourth through sixth grade or something like that. And I just decided it's Christmas time. Let me talk about the tradition of St. Nicholas. You would not believe how many parents were mad at me for spoiling Santa Claus. Um, We know somebody that was like, 
They were like 10 years old. They still believed in Santa Claus, and their mom had to call them to the side and say, hey, let me tell you the real story about that. So for us, with our kids, we just decided we're not going to lie to our kids. We're just going to tell them Santa Claus is a fun thing to pretend. And so we had Santa Claus in our house, and, and we, we might even write, this gift is from Santa, but our kids knew because we didn't want to lie to them about things. Um, sometimes uh, we're not trustworthy and we don't follow through on our word because we're actually careless. And sometimes we tell people we'll do things and we're not intending to defraud, but we just don't plan carefully enough to be able to keep our commitments. But as believers, we should be trustworthy. And so I just have a question for you. Um, do you lie? Do you ever say things that aren't true? In fact, have you ever lied about something and after lying about it, you realized this is such an obvious lie. Everybody knows I just lied like it just hits you later. Like there are some people I know that they just lie about everything. They lie for no reason. And it's like and, and what they tell me, I never know if it's true because they have such a pattern of being dishonest. And then there's other people that when they tell me something, it doesn't matter how crazy it sounds. I believe it because in their life, they don't ever lie. And so what are you like? Do you tell the truth no matter what? See, there I've actually even met unbelievers, people who don't even know the Lord, and they always tell the truth. And um, that's, I think, is reflected in Romans 2, 14 and 15, where God says that the Gentiles instinctively do the things of the law, and they show that God has written his law in their hearts. And so there are people who don't even know the Lord, but because of what God has done in creating people in his image, you'll have non-Christians sometimes that tell the truth more and are more faithful and are more people of integrity than believers. And I just want to say it should not be that way. Because God's written his law in people's hearts. But if you're a Christian, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, the power of God in your life to help you please and honor God. You have what the Bible says so you know what's true and you know what's right. And so if you're a Christian, you should be trustworthy. Um, you know, dishonesty, that's saying things that aren't true. It's failing to follow through on commitments and ultimately, what it is, it's a, it's a lack of reverence for God and a lack of love for other people. Th that's what creates dishonesty in our life. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Christian trustworthiness. And God tell, always tells the truth. And I think this is our first and foremost thing. God always tells the truth. He always keeps his commitments. And as believers, we should reflect his character. We should always tell the truth and keep the commitments we make. But you know what, as we do that, we need to keep in mind that ultimately we are not in control of everything. Um, God knows everything, so whenever he says anything, it's always true. And the, the truth is that there are times we can say things that aren't true, but it's not on purpose. It's just because we're wrong. You know, we're fallible. We make mistakes. God always keeps his commitments because he has the ability to keep his commitments. But there are times that you and I in our life, we may commit to something. And because of circumstances beyond our control, we can't follow through on it. And so that's one of the things that we recognize that we're not God. God doesn't expect us to be God. 
but to be people of integrity and to be very careful to be a trustworthy person, that is what God wants us to do. So we are back in Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, and I just want to bring us up to speed. Overall, why are we studying Matthew? Because we want to know Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. Matthew is a record of the way Jesus lived, and it's a record of what he taught. And so we want to read that because we want to be like Jesus. We want to believe in Jesus. We don't want to just imagine what Jesus is like. We want to learn what he's really like. And the Sermon on the Mount, we're in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the first sermon recorded in Matthew. And it's a description of what genuine salvation looks like. It's not a list of things to do to try to earn salvation. It's just Jesus saying, when you know and love God, this is what you're like. And so we're in that section. He's just gone over um, the Beatitudes, which is just blessing. And in that blessing, three of the blessings are things that happen in this life. Six of those blessings are about something that will happen in the future, our eternity. And so we realize that we're living for eternity. And then Jesus, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, he turns to people and he starts to explain, I'm going to correct all the ways that the religious leaders have misused the Old Testament. There's a lot of people that misuse the Old Testament. They take it, they use it in a way that God never intended. They teach things from it that are wrong, and we should never do that. Some people think the solution to that is don't use the Old Testament. But I say, if there's a problem with misrepresenting and misusing the Old Testament, stop misrepresenting it and stop misusing it. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, let's read this and it'll kind of set our context here. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And then this is an important thing for us to consider. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then this is a key. Jesus is now going to talk about their teachers, their religious leaders. And this is what he says. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) Like, think about what Jesus just says. These religious leaders, these people that are teaching you, these people that are so strict in their life, they are not going to heaven. Um, he, He just says, your religious leaders don't know God. And so then he's gonna then continue on And he's going to actually teach them, no, this is what God intended with the Old Testament. This is how these things actually should apply to your life. See, the religious leaders, they were superstitious, but they weren't reverent toward God. They focused on the laws of men, laws they made up, instead of focusing on the laws that Jesus gave, that God gave. They loved themselves instead of loving God and others. And so when Jesus says, he's going to go through this whole series where he says, you've heard it was said, but I say to you. And what he's going to do is he's going to correct all the things that they've been taught. 
He's going to correct the misquotations of the Old Testament. He's going to correct the misrepresentations of the Old Testament. He's going to correct the misapplications of the Old Testament. Now, the thing is, as believers, we are not under the law. Um, we, don't, we don't read the Old Testament and read about sacrifices and go sacrifice. And there are lots of promises made in the Old Testament to specific people. But the same ultimate thing that people were supposed to learn from the Old Testament sacrifices by leaving those out, well, we, we learn those things. We read those things. We apply those things by a correct understanding of how the Old Testament applies to us. We're not supposed to kill animals when we do things wrong because we're not Jews living in the Old Testament. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing, that the principle behind that does not still apply to us. That when you sin, somebody has to die. That this animal died as a representation of Christ who would come and die for us ultimately. We don't sacrifice animals because Jesus came and died. He fulfilled that. But we still learn properly from what the Old Testament says. And that's what Jesus is going to do. See, the Pharisees said, you can hate people. You can live in strife. Just don't murder them. Jesus said that he cares about how you manage your relationships. And if you have a problem with somebody, you leave your offering and you go make it right with whoever that person is. They said you can lust in your heart and in your mind, just don't commit adultery. And Jesus said no. No, if you cultivate and you have lustful thoughts in your own mind and in your heart, that is committing adultery. And if Jesus, uh, the Pharisees would say if you want a divorce, just fill out the paperwork correctly. And Jesus said, no. Unless your spouse commits adultery, you're not actually divorced. Because marriage is permanent and it's before God. And so Jesus is correcting those things. And then we get to our passage uh, this morning, verse 33. And just some circumstances that will help some of this make sense. The Jewish leaders had completely departed from a genuine reverent relationship with God. And they made all these legalistic rules. And the problem with legalistic rules is that when you make them, there's always a way to get around them. And they would miss the point of things. And I'll give you one example. Um, there, was a, there was a man in the Old Testament, and he took God's name in vain. This story is in Leviticus 24, 11. He takes God's name in vain, and everybody hears him takes God's name in vain. They go, oh my goodness, what happened? What do we do? And so they went to God and they said, hey, God, uh, this man took your name in vain. What should we do? And God says, take him outside the camp and throw rocks at him until he's dead. Because he treated me irreverently. So that's reverence. It's seeing holiness in God. So the Jews' response to that was not to say, okay, let's be careful not to take God's name in vain. They said, okay, under no circumstances should ever, anybody ever say God's name. And whenever they would read the Old Testament, whenever they would come across um, Yahweh, God's name, they wouldn't say Yahweh. They would say Hashem, which is the Hebrew word for the name. So whenever they, they would just read it, and then they would say the name. And whenever somebody said the name, oh, that's God's name. Or they would say Lord. And in fact, in your Bibles, Yahweh is, there's only one translation, the ASV, that translates it as Jehovah. But everywhere else, it's, it's translated with the word Lord in all capital letters. In the New Testament, 
they, they were living under that same superstition and they didn't say God's name. They would just say Lord, which is why Yahweh never appears in the New Testament, except in John 8, 58, where Jesus calls himself, I am. He says, before, he, before Abraham was, I am. And I am is, is Yahweh. That's God's name in Hebrew. And so Jesus uses it in that sense about himself. So here's how that factors. Okay, why are you telling us all this? So one of the things that the Old Testament says is it says that if ever you're going to swear, you swear in my name. You don't say, oh, by Buddha, I'm going to do this, or by Baal, I'm going to do this, because Baal's nothing. Who cares what Baal thinks? So God says, if you're ever going to swear, you swear in my name, because I'm actually the only one who's real. And so the Pharisees had designed this system where they can't say God's name, so they would swear by all kinds of other things that kind of represented God. Oh, we promise by heaven, we swear by the earth, we swear by the temple, we swear by the gold of the temple. And they came up with this whole elaborate system. And in this system, there were, you could promise things to people, but it's only if you promised by a certain thing that it represented God. So they had this whole system of what you were allowed to say and what you were not allowed to say. And when your oath was binding and when it wasn't binding. And that's actually what Jesus is going to address here. And so, um, so they're going to start by misquoting this passage. So let's just look at this first thing. So Christians are devoted to being trustworthy. And so in Matthew 5.33, Jesus says this, Again, you have heard that it was said of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So that's a combination of two Old Testament verses. They kind of put them together. That exact phrase isn't found in the Old Testament. But here's one, uh, Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. God says, you make a promise by my name, and you better keep it. And then he goes on in verse Numbers 30, if a man vows to the Lord and, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds from his mouth. So if you promise God something, you better keep your promise. You know, people in a foxhole. Oh God, if you save me, I'll dedicate my whole life to serving you. I'll become a missionary. And then God saves them and they go back home. And they're like, okay, yeah, forget that. I'm good. And this just says, no, if you make a promise to God, you better keep it. And so here's what the Pharisees do. They take those two things and then they ignore everything else that the Old Testament says. And they, they pretend that those are the only two things that matter. And so our first thing is that Christians need to be devoted to being trust, trustworthy. And so to swear falsely, that's to commit perjury. And basically what they're saying is don't lie under oath. And here's the problem with that, is that we are Christians. We represent God. And there are a few things that are true about God. And that is that God doesn't lie. He never says things that are untrue. Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. Titus 2.1, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised. Our salvation is based on the trustworthiness of God. In fact, 
um, as far as keeping promises, Romans 10, it says, For the scripture says that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord, is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When, when you cry out to God and you say, God, I'm in trouble and I need your help and will you save me? And this is talking about the prayer of salvation. God saves everyone who puts their faith in him. Our salvation and actually everything is based on God's character. He doesn't lie. I've talked to people who they're, they're discouraged or people at the end of their life that are worried about dying. Man, I'm going to die and, and how do I know what's going to happen to me? And, and I just take them to scripture and I just say, this is what God says. And God never lies. And so you might not feel saved and you might be worried and those kinds of things, but you want to know something? Have you put your faith in God? Have you cried out to him for help? You can trust him. You can count on him because he never lies. So God's completely trustworthy. And for that reason, we should be trustworthy because we represent God. There's another couple reasons. And one is that we want to please God. God wants believers to be honest and to tell the truth. That's what God wants from us. And so here's the second thing, is that a trustworthy Christian tells the truth. We don't lie. We have a culture where um, people feel like, oh, if somebody doesn't deserve to know, then just lie to them. You know, lying is sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's wrong. And actually Satan even attacks the whole concept of truth. And even like we could just say, is this, ch is this tr chair here, is that true? And, and we have a culture where it's like, no, you just make up whatever's true. You decide what truth is. Maybe that chair is there for you and maybe it's not there for you. And Satan attacks the whole concept of truth, but Christians tell the truth. And uh, I'll just, I'm going to go quickly on this because it's not that complicated. But the Old Testament, God said we're supposed to tell the truth. I don't know why people struggle with, do I always have to tell the truth? And you hear all kinds of examples like, well, if you were in Nazi Germany and the Nazis came to you and said, are you hiding Jews? And you were hiding Jews, wouldn't you say no? And they come up with all of those examples and, and, and all these hypothetical situations. And people have asked me, if that was the case, what would you do? And I've said, well, I hope I would tell the truth. But, but I think in that... Um, one of the things we see from Jesus, you don't always have to answer questions. And I think a lot of people lie carelessly. Just think about things. If the Nazis came to me and said, are Jews in your house? I might say, look for yourself. Go, look. Um, or I might not answer. And so there's a lot of ways to not be dishonest. But God says this in Leviticus 19.11. He says, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Is that confusing? Psalm 5, 6, you destroy those, talking about God who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. How about Proverbs 6, 16? There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Number one is pride, and number two is lying lips. So... Um, how about Proverbs 19, 22? You're better off being poor than being a liar. Okay, so that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? What does it say about lying? Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, having put, it, put away falsehood, 
Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're all members of one another. Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old flesh, the old self, with its sinful practices. You know, it gets actually even more intense. This might stress you out. Um, I, I would have a show of hands for who's lied before, but I know you'd all raise your hand, so, so that would be a waste. But, um, and me too, I'd be raising my hand. But, but check this out. Psalm 101.7, No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. So that's the Old Testament. And how about the New Testament? Look at this. Revelation 21.8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Um, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. People who lie don't go to heaven. Okay, that, that stresses us all out, but we'll come back to that more. But, like, is it kind of clear that God says lying's not okay? Like, this is actually not a debatable issue. As Christians, everything you say should always be true. And you shouldn't misrepresent things to people, and lest we think that's the Old Testament. Do you remember uh, Ananias and Sapphira, right? They come to church, they sell their property, and then they show up and they say, hey, here's all of our stuff. This is the New Testament, in case you don't know where the book of Acts is. Um, hey, we sold all of our property. We're giving all the money from our property we sold. And, God, and, and um, Peter says to them, um, wasn't that your property? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, couldn't you decide to sell it or not? Nobody said you had to sell it. Well, yeah, that's true. And if you did sell it and decided you wanted to give half the money, don't you have the right to do whatever you want with your money? Well, yeah. But you're going to lie and say you gave it all when you only gave some of it? And he falls over dead. And they carry him out. And then his wife comes there, and Peter says to his wife, Hey, uh, did you really sell all the property and this you were going to give it all? And she goes, oh, yeah, we sold it. We're giving it all. And she falls over dead. And he says, the same people that carried your husband out are going to carry you out. And they carry her out. And fear kind of fell upon everybody. See, that's reverence. And I just think it's crazy that people I know that have showed up in church and that represent God and lie to people. Man, honesty is something that we really ought to take very seriously. And so, um, you know, I was, I was thinking about that. Think about the practical places that that comes to play in your life when you're selling a car. We recently were talking about selling a car in my house, and I just told my kid, you think of every single thing that's wrong with that car, and when somebody comes to buy the car, tell them everything you know that's wrong with it. That's what I do. People come to buy a used car from me, and it's like, hi, my name's Roger. This is my car, and then I give them a list of everything I know that's wrong with it. And I say, and this is the price, and this is the car. In fact, one time I sold a truck, and I told some guy that, and he's like, no, that's, that's not wrong with this. He thought I didn't know what I was talking about. I did, and he happily bought the car, and I thought, okay, great. <laughs> but are we willing to shade the truth and be dishonest to get things that we want? We shouldn't be. So here's the third thing. Uh, trustworthy Christians... They keep their commitments. 
trustworthy Christians keep their commitments. Look at this, verse 33. Again, I, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. So in other words, they're saying, as long as you didn't swear, then you can lie. And God's going to say, that's not true. You shall perform your you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. If you promise to God, you've got to keep that promise. But if you just promise to people, you don't need to keep that promise. And Jesus is going to say, that's not true. So he says in verse 34, But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God. See, they would make oaths by heaven. That's like saying, okay, if, if, if I don't keep my promise, may heaven be destroyed. And God's just saying, you don't own heaven. Like, you have no right to make a commitment based on heaven. It's not yours. And it goes on, and it says, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, it, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. You don't own heaven, you don't own earth. And you don't own Jerusalem. Now, there's an interesting thing about Jerusalem. Who's the great king? That's Jesus. That's the Messiah. So actually, one of the things that happens here is Jesus equates himself with God. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about earth. But when he talks about Jerusalem, that's the Messiah reigning on earth. So Jesus here inserts himself as God. But he's basically saying, you don't own heaven. You don't own earth. And you don't own Jerusalem. So what are you making promises by those things for? And then and, and, um, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 16 to 22, the Pharisees, Jesus actually pronounces a woe on them, and he actually specifically says some of the things that they were saying. Uh, they would say, if you, if you swear by the temple, you don't have to keep that promise. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, then you have to keep that promise. If you swear by the altar, you don't have to keep that. But if you swear by the sacrifice on the altar, then you have to keep that promise. If you swear by heaven, you don't have to keep that promise. But if you swear by the throne of God, you've got to keep that one. So the Pharisees had this elaborate system of crossing their fingers. Uh, my, my sister, I remember as a kid, um, she would, surely would say, um, hey, Raj, if you give me a piece of candy, your candy, I'll give you a piece of mine. I'd say, do you promise? And she'd say, yeah, I promise. I'd give her a piece, and she'd eat it, and then she wouldn't give me any candy. I'm like, hey, where's my candy? You promised. I had my fingers crossed. So then I'd say, all right, let me see your fingers. And then we'd make another promise. I'd give her another piece of candy. And then she'd say, uh, I'd say, all right, give me my candy. And she'd say, nope. My arms were crossed. Or she'd say, my toes were crossed. And one time she pulled this out on me. She said, my shoelaces were crossed. That's how the Pharisees lived their life, is they came up with all these ways to cheat and defraud people. And Jesus just says, no, don't do that. Now here's verse 35. This is interesting. Verse 35, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or Jerusalem, it's a city of the great king. Look at verse 36, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So what a person is saying when they make a promise by their head, they're saying, if I don't keep my promise, may I be killed, may I be decapitated. It's kind of like all the things that little kids say, uh, cross my heart, hope to die, poke a needle in my eye. And they're just saying, if I don't keep my word, I'll die. Or you can torture me by sticking a needle in my eyes. Like, I'm really going to do what I'm promising. But it's interesting. They're making a promise by their head. And Jesus says this. Don't do that because you can't make one hair white or black. You're actually not in control of your own life. And ultimately, if you're a Christian, 
You don't even own yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, you are not your own. You've been brought with a price. See, we live in a culture that's autonomous. We think we're in control and we own ourselves, and we make our decisions. And, and if I decide I want to commit suicide, I, I can kill myself because that's my choice. Or if I want to end somebody else's life, a baby that might wreck my life, well, I could just end that life because I'm in charge. And, and God is just saying, no, you are not autonomous. You own nothing. I decide everything. And so Jesus is saying, don't even promise by your own head because you're not in control. And so that's, that's what they're doing. And then he says this in verse 37. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this is of the evil one. You know, a yes, a plain yes or no, if you're a Christian, should carry the same weight as any commitment or promise that you could make. Just simply saying, yes, I'll do this, or yes, this really happened. We shouldn't have to be under oath. Have you thought about why we always want to put people under oath? Like, let's, let's get these guys to testify under oath. Why? So that if they lie, we can prosecute them, put them in jail, fine them. We got to be able to bring some kind of difficulty into their life if they don't tell the truth. We gotta, there's got to be this threat. No Christian should ever have to have any kind of threat of any kind to tell the truth. One of the things that James says, James says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no so that you may not fall under judgment. Here's what you need to know. Who cares what people can do to you? What God does is what matters. We live our life reverently before God. You may lie about something and there may be, may be no earthly consequences. You might lie about something and completely get away with it. Nobody knows. But you want to know who always knows everything? God. You want to know who we have an obligation to please? God. And so we should always tell the truth. And just saying yes, a casual yes from a believer should be the same thing as swearing something under oath. So... Um, we should always just tell the truth, and anything beyond that is from Satan. John 8, 44 says this, You are of your father the devil, he's talking to the Pharisees, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he lies, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So on a practical level, let's just think about this whole issue of truthfulness. Um, you need to be a trustworthy person. And we all struggle with that, everybody. Nobody is the person that they should always be. I remember just even uh, last year, I was working for somebody and I was, I, I was carrying this really valuable piece of equipment and I was not paying attention. I was just totally careless. First of all, really hard to find this piece that was required for this machine that I was helping to build. And I was just careless and I was just walking back and it just fell out of the box onto the ground. <laughs> and if you ever want to just be able to hit rewind, it's like, and I'm just thinking to myself, okay, wait a second, that was so stupid. Instead of carrying it in one hand, I could have carried it carefully in two. How hard would that have been? It would have been so easy. What in the world just happened? And then all these things going through my mind, well, maybe it didn't break. Maybe it's okay. I mean, it did fall on the ground, but maybe it's okay. Maybe I could just 
not say anything and hope it still works. But the person that I'm working for is we're going to rely on that to work. And it's going to create them all kinds of problems if they ship it to somebody and then it doesn't work for the person that they ship it to. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe we get to ship it anyway. And because maybe it got damaged in shipping. Do I have to say I'm the one who dropped it? Like that's going through my head. And then I'm like, okay, well, I can't do any of that stuff. But <laughs> they're going to say, how'd you drop it? <laughs> well, it was, it was, uh, can I, am I going to come up with some kind of excuse for how I dropped it? The truth is I was being careless with something really valuable of yours. And so it was so hard, man. It was just killing me. And so I just went in there and I said, hey, I dropped this thing. I'm afraid I broke it. And um, so we should test it before we send it out. And I said, I know that it's really hard to even find these things anymore. It was a really old piece of equipment that's expensive. And I just said, I'm really sorry. And I just, it was careless. It was just stupid. I wasn't thinking about what I was doing. I didn't even have good reason for breaking it. And I said, so, hey, I will do the work of trying to find another one and I'll pay for the part. And uh, the guy just said, no, no, you're not allowed to pay for it. Thank you for telling me we tested it. It was broken. <laughs> And uh, he said, it's okay, I have a spare somewhere over here, we'll use that. So it worked out okay. But I, I just want you to know, like, I'm a pastor, I'm a dad, I've been a Christian for a long time, and all those things were going through my mind. Hey, we all struggle with that stuff, don't we? But if we're believers, we need to honor God. We need to care more about what God thinks than what other people think. We need to trust our future and our well-being to God. And so what this passage is, is meaning, what it's saying for you and I, is that we need to tell the truth all the time. There are some people that are not constrained by the truth. What they say has to do with what will help them, what will get them what they want. Whether or not it's true is actually not a factor. We need to be people that are constrained by the truth. Uh, we need to consider our commitments before we make them. This is another area this week has been, I've just really had to think about, do I tell people things with good intentions, with every desire and following through, but I overcommit? Um, we actually need to say no more often because we value our word and we value not telling people that we're going to do things and then that we don't follow through. And so we need to be careful what we commit to. We need to consider our commitments before we make them. Uh, we need to, here's, here's something to think about as a side note. Proverbs chapter 6 says, don't co-sign for people. Like, think about this, the, the problems that people get into. A person doesn't honor their word, right? So they, they tell a bank, I want to borrow some money, but then they just never pay it back because they either don't care to pay it back or they don't plan well and don't pay, pay it back. So a bank just says, actually, your word's not worth anything. You have a history of not following through on your commitments. So then what do we do? We go co-sign. And a person who didn't take care of their credit then ruins yours. I know a ton of people who have put their, their integrity in another person's hands. If they don't value their integrity, why would they value yours? And so we need to value our integrity. And that doesn't mean, like, let's not get legalistic about co-signing, you know, but that's actually something we need to consider. But you know what? Maybe there's a, maybe there's a good time to co-sign for somebody. Maybe you just decide, if they can't pay it, I don't care, I'll pay it. 
Um, so I'm not uh, like, let's not get legalistic about that, but you know, we really need to think through valuing our own integrity. Um, have you ever met somebody who made plans with you and then they got better plans and canceled? Have you ever made plans with somebody and then got a better option and canceled? Psalm 15 verse 1 says this, the Psalm of David, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly, who does what's right, who speaks truth in his heart. See, truth actually comes out of your heart. Who does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, who honors those who fears the Lord. And then this right here, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now, I made you a promise. Actually, I didn't realize how much it would cost me. Uh, I cancel my promise to you. No. You make a promise to somebody and you say, I told you I would do this. I'm going to do it. And you swear to your own hurt. You don't change. Um, he who does these things will never be moved. So um, the Lord was kind of helping me this week. The other thing we need to acknowledge is that we're weak. We don't always know everything. There are things that happen that are beyond our control, and there are also things that are happened just because we fail. So this week, I, I made a commitment to meet some people early in the morning. So there's a couple people that got up at 5.30 in the morning to go meet me, and uh, I adjusted my alarm and all that stuff, but evidently, I never hit save or I never turned it on, and so I've been looking forward to that meeting all week, and I woke up in the morning, and I looked outside, and it was bright. And I was like, uh, it's not bright at 5.30. Oh, no. It's like 6.45. I totally slept past the meeting. Uh, you ever do stuff like that? See, that, that was my fault. That was not care planning carefully enough. And then I could call up and make some kind of an excuse, or I could just say, I'm sorry, I just woke up. And so the thing is, is that we, we're fallible. We fail. We don't always follow through. Um, we're weak. And sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's things beyond our control. So let me tell you what this doesn't mean, what, what Jesus is not saying here. He's actually not saying you can never swear an oath. That you could, if you're to go to court and people are saying, um, hey, you got to swear in. It's not saying a Christian can't swear in in court. Um, Jesus swore in in Matthew 26, 63 to 64. The high priest made him swear in and Jesus did it. And then he, he told him the truth. Um, the Apostle Paul, a bunch of times when he's talking about his motives, you know, a lot of people lie about their motives. The Apostle Paul, when he was talking about his motives, he said, I swear by God that what I'm saying to you is true. He does that three times in the New Testament. So it's not saying you can't take an oath. And it's not saying that you can't adjust when things beyond your control happen. Like we're not like God. And so there's times that we have to change. But it's saying you value your word, you don't defraud people, you tell the truth, and you keep your commitments even if it costs you. You know, integrity, and we'll close with this, but integrity flows from a genuine, humble love for God. What God cares, what God thinks of you matters more than what other people think of you. Um, God understands and he provides everything we have. Think about this. You know, a lot of times we lie because we're trying to get out of trouble. We're afraid of what might happen to us. And just a person who says, God, you tell me to tell the truth. I don't know what this is going to cost me. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get hurt by it, but I'm just going to tell the truth. 
because I trust that you will take care of me. So lying a lot of times is just that we're not trusting God, um, sometimes because of fear. And we just need to recognize that, man, God loves us. He's going to take care of us. We fail. When we fail, let's own it. But let's value our integrity so that we represent Christ well. And then this is the other thing. Should we not be gracious to other people? <laughs> hey, I overslept. The next time somebody oversleeps, sleeps with me, that's cool. I forgive you. And um, if you forget my name, thank you. I like that because sometimes I forget your name. Let's just live our life in a gracious, encouraging way. Let's pray for and encourage people to please the Lord. We're going to right now, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I think that the Lord's Supper is just such an amazing thing because... Jesus, we don't do these things. We don't live our life to try to earn God's favor, to try to be good enough for God. We do the things that we do because God loves us. And because he died on the cross for us, he was good enough for us. We're not trying to perform to be accepted. It's Matthew 26, verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is, the, this is my blood of, my, of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had, they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus celebrated that right before he went to the cross, looking forward to the fact that he would die for our sins. And that's what we celebrate right now, the, the, the knowledge that Jesus died for us. We're forgiven because of what he did. And let's uh, just thank the Lord for that. God, thank you so much for your kindness. Lord, as we go take the cup, I pray that you would help us to do that in a worthy way that we would think about who you are, that we would remember your sacrifice, that we would be in a place of demonstrating a willingness to obey you and to do what's right. Lord, help us to be trustworthy people in your name. Amen.